your three enemies. You have three of them. Here they are. They're the world, first enemy, the flesh, second, the devil, and his demons, third. These are the three enemies that both you and I deal with. Oftentimes we think our enemy is the person that lives next door or the person that sleeps next to us, or we think that our enemy is a human. No, the enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And until we understand the makeup of our multifaceted or multifaced enemy, we will always employ failing efforts in order to combat and overcome our enemies in life. So I want to show you how futile our efforts will be if we do not understand our multi-faced enemy. And to do this, let's pretend you and I have a child. No, excuse me. No. Let's pretend I have a child, you have a child, and we would like to save our child from their enemy, all right? But of course, this relates to all of us <laughs> individually also. Okay. Han, I don't know why you're looking at me strange, but <laughs> if we think the enemy is just the world, then we think if only we can take our child out of the world or out of public school or out of R-rated movie theaters or out of bad friendship circles or out of the clubs downtown, then our child will be okay He'll be out of the enemy's clutches. But that is if we thought that the world was my child's enemy and the world was your child's enemy. This would be our strategy in combating our child's enemy. And oftentimes we do that. Well, I do that. I took my son out of public school. But that's not how he gets completely out of the clutches of the enemy if I think the world is his only enemy. But let's go to the next one. If we think that the enemy is only the devil, then we think all we need to do is that we need to get our child to recite this prayer after us. Take my hand and pray after me. If we think that the enemy is just the devil, then we'll lay hands on our rebellious child, which I do, and... Oftentimes, while they sleep, we think we, you know, this is how we're going to do it. If we think the enemy is just the devil, then we'll cast out a devil every now and then from them. We'll plead the blood of Jesus over them, over their bedroom doors, over their school books, and over their bicycle. We'll think that the enemy is now being taken care of if we do this. We'll throw away all of the ACDC albums, and we'll trash them. And then what we'll do is we'll go spend a lot of money and we buy him all of Bill and Gloria Gaither's homecoming <laughs> albums instead. And boom, taking care of the enemies out of ACDC's clutches. He's out of the clutches of the private or the public schools. He's out of the world. He's out of bad friendship circles. He's out of the clubs. And, uh, you know, the blood's been played over him. Constantly, I prayed over him. He prayed prayer with me. I laid hands on him. I cast out the devil every now and then. He's good. But that's if we thought the enemy was only the world or only the devil. If we think that the enemy is just the flesh, then 
We believe all we need to do is just get our child to change a few bad habits and he'll be out of the devil's clutches. Or we'll think all we need to do is help them be more positive. Or think more positive. Mike, think a little bit more positive and he'll be out of the woods. We'll keep them motivated with a carrot at the end of some kind of stick and take them to a, to a Christian psychologist and buy them all the Become a Better You Christian books that are out there and boom, you know, we're, they're out of the devil's clutches. But to understand that our enemy is not simply our environment, the world, not simply the actual devil and his demons, but also our flesh, which is our minds that are at war with God, an enemy of God, then and then only, if we see that it's all of the above, then and then only will we realize how we have been hemmed in on every side and we now have a problem not just outside coming to us, but inside coming from us. It's not just the world on the outside. It's also the flesh on the inside. It's me. It's my mind. It's I am the enemy. And now we, we, cert we suddenly realize that our efforts to conquer our enemy is almost futile because like Lady Gaga said we were born this way. <laughs> Lord knows, did I just say that? So when we realize how impossible it is for us to get away from our multi-faced enemy, how impossible it is to get out of the clutches of these three enemies that gang up against us, only then will we realize what a massive challenge we have and what a big problem we have, what a mess we really are, and how our salvation from these enemies can only be possible if, in fact, God saves us. Because we could not possibly save ourselves from our own flesh, our own mind, the world we live in, and the powers that be in the air above. So our main text today is in Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 10, and we're going to read through it first show you a few things, and then we're going to come to some conclusions regarding these three enemies. So let's read through it together, and then we'll exegete it, okay? So verse 2, and you were dead. And you were dead. All right, we got to pause there. Oh, we got to think about that. And you were dead. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers, and he's saying you were what? Dead. How so? In your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of what? This world. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this? Can I hear you say that again? This? All right. Here's enemy number one, the world. Then it continues, it says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Here is the second enemy, enemy number two, who? The devil, the prince of the power of the air. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. In other words, among all these people that are under the power of the world 
and the prince of the air, we too formerly, like all of them, lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Here's the third enemy, the flesh, which includes the mind. And we're, nature, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of everybody else that's in the world, under the sway of the world, the wicked one, under the prince of the air, and giving themselves to their flesh. Can you see how right here in the first three verses, your three enemies in life have been identified? Can you see that? Uh, let me ask. Can you guys see that? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Let's continue. As it gives us a synopsis of our challenge, our enemy, and how they have come together in order to conquer us, and how we are basically dead in it. In other words, a dead man. Have you ever seen a dead man win a fight? <coughs> Remember, it starts, and you were dead, and these enemies were ravaging. They, they were destroying every part of your life, and you loved it. Go downtown to a club right now, you'll see they're loving it as they are being destroyed. He says, and you were like them in your former life. He says, and now, as a dead person with these three very powerful enemies, basically we have no chance. Verse 4 starts, but God. Can everybody say, but God? So there you go. You see, when Jesus said, all things, with God, all things are possible, he was talking about, like, I realize that there is no possible way for you to be saved. But with God, <laughs> this is possible. Watch me. Hold my communion, folks. <laughs> you know, so, but with God, all things are possible. So here, verse 4, it says, but God, being rich in mercy toward you, because of His great love which, which He loved us. He hasn't yet referred to how important we are. He says, but He's rich in mercy and His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, that's how much we added up to, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That faith is not yours. God gave it to you. It is God's gift to you, not as a result because of what you have done, so that no one may boast for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God beforehand, beforehand planned this. Do you realize that there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah? This is not even part of the message. I just want to tell somebody here today, all of world events, whether it be Moses Cain and Abel, whether it be Nero, whether it be Pilate, all of the world's events that you can read throughout scriptures, which 6,000 years back, are all prophecies of what's to come. This tells you and I that God is in control. He's sovereign. 
He lifts kings up and He brings kingdoms down. Nobody is going to make history outside of God, God's sovereign plan. Nobody will. So you rest your head on the pillow called the sovereignty of God. Say, God's got this. Amen. Here he says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. He even mentions Jesus while he was talking to Adam and Eve, and he said, The seed. The seed will crush you. He seeds coming. God already knew all of the above. He saw you here today. So let us look at the three enemies individually, because in knowing them, we have a better understanding of, as to how God is going to systematically, through us, conquer those enemies that are in our lives by His grace. Number one, the world. Ephesians 2 verse 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world. This world. This term, this world, is used in multiple different ways in scriptures. At times, Paul uses the term this world or the world as the creation or the created cosmos. Other times, Paul uses the term to refer to all of mankind, this world. But then <clears throat> there are times... This term is used to refer to a portion of creation that is at war with the Creator. The world that is at enmity or at war with God. It is the world which is against God. It is the world which hates God. It is the world that is opposed to anything about God, His will, His commands, His word, or even the idea of Him. We would rather believe that out of nothing comes everything... And put faith in that versus believing that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. How? By His Word. Ah, I can't believe that. What do you believe? I believe everything just came out of nothing. That's how I, that's what I believe. And so, <laughs> so this world is against God. It is this world Paul is referring to which is under the sway of the wicked one. It is this world system that is being referred to right here <clears throat> when it says in which, you were formerly walked, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Another example where Scriptures refers to this world system is in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, A, where it says, and do not be conformed to this world. In other words, the system of this world. The average unsaved, unregenerate individual will not see the evil that drives them to disobedience. They cannot recognize it. They cannot see it. They do not even know that it's happening. The average unsaved, unregenerate person will not see his own flesh that entices him and draws him away from God to sin. He doesn't see it. He doesn't recognize it. He doesn't know it's happening. He will argue you to say, that is not true. I am choosing this because that is my desire I already have. I choose that sin. Why? Because I want it. Devil's not making me do it. I want it. Well, the flesh, your enemy, is enticing you, sir, to go ahead and have your fill. 
You see, the average unsaved, unregenerate individual will not see that the world system that he is served, it is the world system that he is enslaved to and that, what he, and that he is serving and that he is worshiping. I love it when people say, I'm not a slave of no one. Oh, they're a slave of the world unless they're saved. They're a slave, slave of unrighteousness and slave to sin unless they are saved and freed from it. No, that's what I choose. I know. <laughs> Your enemy makes you choose it. Well, who's my enemy? You. Your flesh. The reason the average unsaved, unregenerate individual does not see that he has three enemies and that he is a slave to all three of those enemies is because that man is in his fallen state. That man has been blinded to his own slavery. He's unaware of his lostness. He's oblivious to his own evil and his inner bent towards the flesh. He's oblivious to his evil and the world and the prince of the power of the air, which is the demonic realm. He, does, he knows nothing of it. Spiritual things to him is absolute foolishness, the Bible says. Now, <clears throat> Vodi Barkham brings up this point regarding the fallen man not knowing that he's fallen. He asks the question, the ancient old question by Aristotle. Aristotle asks this question, does a fish know that he is wet? Does he know this? No, he does not. Until you take him out of the water, dry him off, then he'll know that he used to be wet and he desperately want to be wet again. But a fish does not know that he is wet. In the same way, does a fallen man know that he's fallen? No. He thinks he's fine. Until he's given a miracle of eyes to see and ears to hear and the miracle of a heart that now can believe. He cannot possibly recognize a holy God. And when this miracle happened, when this miracle happens to a person, suddenly he will see his worldliness and he will see his lostness in comparison to God's holiness and God's righteous requirements. In 1 John 5 verse 19, the Bible says, We know that we are of God. We know that we are of God. Remember, we just talked about how the world does not know that they are not of God. How the world does not know of their own lostness and their own unrighteousness and their need for God. But here in 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are of God. We know it. And that the whole world, we know this too, that the whole world lies under the what? The power of the evil one. The whole world. Not the cosmos. These people in this system called the worldly system. So like a fish does not know that it is wet, so an unsaved, unregenerate person does not know that they are a slave to sin and they are a slave to unrighteousness. They don't see themselves that way. And they hate you for seeing things. They hate you for seeing them that way. But remember, it's not you who see them that way. It's God who said that they were. Uh, they see themselves as lucky. <laughs> They're like, they get to do everything they've been desiring. They desire that, and when they get it, they deem themselves lucky. Man, I'm blessed. You know how men talk in warehouses? <laughs> 
No, you don't. Man. Scored. For getting what they wanted, for experiencing the sin they actually desire and the sin that they crave. They give themselves to that. So they, they deem themselves blessed, not knowing themselves to be lost. They don't see themselves as being controlled by this. They don't see themselves as being a slave to this thing called sin. They see themselves as free to enjoy what they crave, to enjoy what they want, to enjoy what they desire. Can everybody say the world? The world is your enemy. The world calls you daily. The world entices you daily. The world laughs at you and mocks you daily because the world does not get you. The world does not understand you. The world has no, has no concept of this miracle of open eyes and a heart that responds. The world does not get that. Number two, your second enemy is who? The devil. The devil. Ephesians 2, verse 2b. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in who? The sons of disobedience. Disobey the gospel. Guess why? Because you're a slave to this prince. He makes you disobey. And he stops you. He says, do not. You do not want to go there. Not only is the world system that we live in opposed to God, but here also we have an enemy called the prince of the power of the air, which is this evil spirit that is at work. This means there is an actual demonic realm. There is an actual evil force at work in unsaved people today, driving them to oppose God, driving them to disagree with God, driving them to disobey God in every way. You can, you can just turn on the TV and you'll see it. You can hardly have a popular show without this being the theme. Why? Because they are creating movies with this theme in order to satisfy people who live by the same rules. They live by the same natures. They couldn't enjoy what might inspire you. They couldn't enjoy a truth the way you enjoy a truth. You go like, oh, that's good. Wow. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. That's so wonderful. And they go like, what? Give me 50, grays, 50 shades of gray. The third enemy is who? The flesh. The flesh. Ephesians 2 verse 3, the next verse. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh. Among them, we too, all of us formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. That was our goal, to satisfy our own desires. Our entire life was wired, strategized after fulfilling the 
the desire and demands of the flesh. The flesh demands comfort. I'll work harder. The flesh demands entertainment. I'll work harder. The flesh demands to be stimulated. I will do what I need to. The flesh demands. And so they run after that. And they don't realize that they're a slave. They're not free. They're a slave being driven. So among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were children of wrath, not children of God, children of the wrath of God, even as the rest of all humanity. So when he says, even as the rest, he's referring to the world. So that simply means you and I were once no different than the rest of fallen man, sinful men. And we're completely unaware of our lostness. And that's why today we can be grateful. You know, uh, the most misunderstood concept, I think, in any human's life is that of freedom. The world thinks they're free to remain a slave. But when Jesus sets you free, you look back and you go like, what made me think I was free? Huh, Tony? What made you think you were free to do what you wanted to do? That wasn't freedom. That was slavery. See? That's slavery. You see, even if there was no enemy called the world, even if there was no enemy called the demonic, you and I would still be lost because of our sinful nature, our flesh, the one we were born with. The truth is, as a fallen human being with a flesh and a mind that is at enmity with God, we naturally love this world. The world system was a comfortable place for us to live in. We enjoy it like a pig loves to roll around in the mud, so we also loved being under the power of sin and in the world. We just love it. It cooled us down. It was like, man, I can't wait for Friday night. Man, I can't wait for this weekend. Why? You needed to go and cool yourself down in the world just like a pig has to run to the mud and cool himself down. Next time you get the urge, <laughs> go, hey, flesh, you just want to be cooled down <laughs> right now. You don't want to go get cooled down. That's your enemy. Yeah, but I got money and I got time and you know what? I deserve to because I've been to church, I've been to small group, I prayed. I just need to get out a little bit and get cooled down. I'm not saying don't go and enjoy yourself. I'm talking about the world and giving yourself to the lusts of the flesh. This world satisfied our sinful flesh just like mud satisfies a pig that rolls around in it. This evil world called us and we loved the sound of its voice. Sounded like a friend, but ended up being your enemy. Calls our name and we loved it because of who we were, fallen creatures made for this world, fallen into this world and under the principalities that rules it. This is called the doctrine of original sin. What is the voice of Satan sound like? 
I love like Superbook, you know, they always imitate Satan's voice. Like, take a bite. Like, all right, Lord, is that you, Jesus? And then Jesus is always like, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Satan on your shoulder, don't believe him. He's a liar. But, so the question is, what does Satan's voice actually sound like? You can see I have kids. What does Satan's voice sound like? And you guys are enjoying it. <laughs> what does Satan's voice actually sound like? <laughs> Bruce, you're so, you're so humble, brother. He says, sounds like me. <clears throat> Your flesh, absolutely. The world, absolutely. But let's look into this. Matthew 4, verse 1. Okay, I'll read, I'll read to you. Through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led up by who? Satan? Nope, the Spirit. Into the wilderness. Alone. Nothing to rely upon. Nothing to sustain Him. Led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after He had fasted, 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. <clears throat> and the tempter came, Satan, and said to him, If you are Son of God. <laughs> he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. That is Satan's voice right there. He still tempts, and he still tempts the same way. If you are the Son of God. Can you repeat that with me? If you are the Son of God. All right, okay, I'm questioning you in the first place, all right? I question who you say you are and what you say you can do. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread because guess what? You want it, don't you? You've been fasting for 40 days. and 40, You want it. You'd love bread right now, don't you? Come on, say it. You want it. Just like we go like Friday night. Man, I really? Friday night. Mm. I got Saturday to prepare for church, get my heart right so that when I walk in there, I can greet people with a big smile and so I can, I can fix myself on Saturday, Friday night. If you are who you say you are, go ahead because I know you're hungry. This is Satan's voice. If God is who he says he is, which he says he's good, then go ahead and cool down a little bit with that desire of yours. He's good. Don't worry about it. If God is who He says He is, which is good, then go ahead and indulge a little bit in that desire that you right now have, even if it's not biblical. God won't judge. He's good. Voice of Satan. If God is who He says He is, which is love. He says He's love then don't deprive yourself. You know, you can have what you really want, even if it's not necessarily so perfectly scriptural. Just go ahead and fill your appetite a little bit. If God makes all things work together for good, He said He does, then just go ahead. It's going to work out. Just go ahead, marry her. Just go ahead. Build that friendship circle. Go ahead. Steal on the job. Doesn't matter. 
Because you know what? God, all, all things work together for the good. See, this is Satan's voice in your ear. Give yourself to your passions. Give yourself to your desires. Give yourself to your appetites. Give yourself to your hunger. God, is not, God doesn't judge you. God is love. God is good. He works all things out for the good. Don't worry about it. If you are the Son of God, go ahead. Have some bread. I know you're hungry. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is how man lives. That is where freedom and life is at. Then the devil took him into, a holy, into the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, when you read this in your Bible, you will see that it's italicized or it's capitalized or whatever. You know, Satan was quoting who there? God. <laughs> he was quoting God in order to deceive Christ. To tempt Him. So he goes... If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will bear you up on their hands, and you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is what Satan's voice sounds like in our ears. If God is who He says He is, a forgiving God, how many of you believe He's a forgiving God? He is, right? If God is who He says He is, go ahead, test His mercy. Go ahead, test His love with your unrepentant attitude. Go ahead, test His grace and continue to live in the sinful practices you do. Go ahead and test His long-suffering. Go ahead and test His patience. Because He said, He's forgiving God. He said it. This is Satan's voice in our ear. And this is His voice. See how far you can cross the line. See how far you can push this envelope. See how far you can push the boundaries. Keep testing God. So when Satan came and he said this to Jesus, Jesus responds with what? He said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Thirdly, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, and their glory. <clears throat> and he said to him, so he showed him everything. He showed him the world. He showed him everything, all the wealth and all the opulence and all the power and all the prestige. And he said to him, all these things I give you if you fall down and worship me. Things and then worship. Things and then worship. This is what Satan's voice sounds like in our ears. His voice is the voice that says, money first. Worship comes after. When in fact the word of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and then everything else comes after. When Satan attempts you to throw your priority list upside down and make your career more important than God, that was the voice of Satan. When Satan tries to throw, get you to throw the priorities upside down, when other things become more important than actually serving God, this, this is exactly what Satan's voice sounds like. The voice that calls you to seek first all things before seeking God. The voice that encourages you to put career before kingdom, that, 
encourages you to put goals before God. You see, this is what Satan's voice sounds like, the voice that encourages you to worship at the altar of wealth and at the altar of prosperity and at the altar of the American dream instead of at the altar of self-sacrifice and self-denial in order to follow Christ. You know, somebody, um, an, an old dead man said this. He said, now you can comfortably live without Jesus, but can you comfortably die without Jesus? So I want to put it in my house somewhere so that when I wake up and I walk around, I can be reminded of that. That speaks to me in such a big way. I mean, you, last week we had a service, and right after the service I see, now I've got to remember this guy's name who passed away in a helicopter. Kobe Bryant, thank you. I didn't want to again say... Um, somebody James I, I got my players mixed up okay Kobe Bryant so you know it, it happens so quick doesn't it so yeah you can comfortably live as a famous person as a wealthy person and have all those desires which God wants you and I to desire him right God wants us to desire Him. And I attempted uh, a few last couple of weeks to outline just the danger of actually desiring other things instead. It crowds out God. It crowds out. You can't have all these things at your top priority list, you see. It crowds out God. We have to desire God first and foremost. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But when we start seeking these things... And think that one day we'll serve God with them. This is a lie from the devil. I think it's a little cold in here. Len, if you don't mind, thank you. The voice of Satan is the voice that calls you to serve mammon. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. You see, as fallen men and as fallen women, we love hearing Satan's voice calling us. We, we actually love it. Why? Because he's calling us to fulfill what we are already desiring. He calls us to have what we already want. He calls us to pursue what we already have a passion for. We love the demonic voices encouraging us to push the envelope to push that envelope and seeing, in seeing how much we can continue to sin and still get away with it. We love hearing Satan's voice calling us to chase after worldly fame and fortune and possibly worship God on the other end of our success. This is Satan's voice in your life. And you know what? Unfortunately, you were now told us today and you could never again say, I did not know. Try it when you get to the judgment seat of Christ. This is Satan's voice in your life. I'll serve God at a more opportune time. The devil comes at a more opportune time. <laughs> That's what happens. 
You see, because of original sin, we didn't uh, need the world to tempt us against our will. We already willed what the world had to offer. We didn't need Satan and the demonic realm to influence us contrary to our desires. We already desired everything the demonic was offering us, things instead of God, lust instead of love. It was all I ever wanted because that was what my fallen nature craved. So this is why the doctrine of original sin is so important because if we do not understand the doctrine of original sin, then we might be tempted to believe that we were innocent and somehow our environment turned us into a violent criminal. You see, if we do not believe the original or the, the doctrine of original sin, we might believe that uh, even though we were good, we were good, God somehow allowed bad things to happen to this good person. That makes us good in comparison to God, an absent father, uncaring father, an unloving father, a bad God. And you know what? Strangely enough, now, the church hasn't thought through this yet, but the world doesn't love God or doesn't like God or cannot stand God because of this very issue right here. How is it that He allows bad things to happen to good people? This is how the world thinks. They think that God is bad for allowing evil to come to good. Why else do you think? They keep on asking this question. Because they believe that God allowed bad things to happen to them. And they see themselves as good. And they see themselves therefore as a victim of God's unloving and uncaring heart. R.C. Sproul was asked this question. And I thought he gave a fantastic answer. The question is, why do bad things happen to good people? R.C. R.C. Sproul responds, actually that only happened once. And he volunteered. Because... We don't understand the doctrine of original sin. We do not believe that we need to be saved. We only believe that we need to be helped. We do not believe that we need the gospel, the good news. We believe that we need some advice. I'm going to go to church and see what kind of advice I can get. <laughs> if we do not understand the doctrine of original sin, we don't say, I sinned. We say, I made a mistake. We don't say, I need to be saved from sin. We say, well, I hope I'll never go to hell one day. We say these dumb things because, and I have myself, because we, we yet to understand the doctrine of original sin. Now, family, please don't raise your hands, all right? Don't shout out the answer. Please don't. But if you know that you need to be saved, let me ask you, or if you know that a man needs to be saved, what do you think a man needs to be saved from? Who does he need to be saved from? Most people, of course, say hell. What is, that, what is it that you need to be saved from? Well, you need to be saved from God. Rob Bell once said, How is God love if we need Jesus to save us from God? Well, he doesn't understand the doctrine of original sin. That's why he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand the justice of God is universal. God cannot become unjust. He cannot just let you free without 
the sins in your life receiving sufficient penalties paid. The penalties receiving the sufficient payment. You see, he cannot become unjust. He will always remain just. That's why it pleased God to crush His own Son, Jesus Christ, so that you can be forgiven and He remain just. All right, Rob Bell does not understand it. I want to use his name because I know he's in town. And many people love the idea of a loving God. But you cannot say God is loving without also agreeing that God is just. And saying that Jesus, that it's not true. It's not true that Jesus died for your sin. Because God is already love, and that's his point. It's a very dangerous thing to think about and to believe and to embrace. You go, well, God, no, 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 I'm saved from hell. Well, let's see, Romans 5 verse 9. To all those people who believe that they are saved from hell through the cross, of course, not going to hell is a, is a benefit that comes with salvation. Receiving heaven is a benefit that comes with salvation. But what is salvation? Romans 5 9, much more having now been justified by His blood, we shall be what? Saved. Everybody say saved. Saved from the wrath of God through Him, Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is going to fall upon your sin. If your sin is in Christ, it falls upon Christ. If your sin is not in Christ, the wrath of God will forever fall upon your sin in hell. And so that's what, that's what that verse means, Romans 5, 9. Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6, let's continue our, our progress here. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, because of His love, not because of me, because I deserve nothing, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, made us alive with, we were dead, He made us alive, we were dead, He made us alive with Christ by grace you've been saved, and raised us up. He raised us up where? In Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. From death to life, God's doing. From slavery to this world to being seated in Christ in heavenly places, God did it all. This is why we need God's grace on a daily basis. This is why we need to appropriate the grace of God on a daily basis. This is why we need to appropriate the gospel on a daily basis. It heals us from greed. It heals us from self-centeredness. It heals us from narcissism. It heals us from living for ourselves, from false purposes. It heals us from everything if we appropriate the gospel on a daily basis. I talked to you about it last week. How can I get my son to not just say the words, thank you, but to actually be grateful. How can I get him? How, can, how do you teach somebody's heart? Appropriate the gospel. There's no other possible way to teach heart. Because you and I actually became grateful the day we realized that God saved us when we didn't deserve saving. When God loved us even though we were His enemy. This is how your heart actually truly, this is how hearts are taught and how your heart responds and how you come alive. 
by that very message, which is the gospel. Ephesians 2, 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you see that as we exegete the passage, we can see that He is now telling us, but God, after He said what? You are dead. Here are your enemies. You have no chance. A dead man cannot fight those three enemies. But God, He makes you alive. But God lifts you up out of this world and puts you in Christ in heavenly places. He lifts up the humble. He graces the humble. But He will constantly reject the proud. I'm humbled because the only reason I'm saved is because God loved me. This is why we need the grace of God on a daily basis. Why daily? Because we are still in the flesh daily. And to your flesh, this world is still a comfort. This vo the voice of Satan is still speaking. But by gra God's grace, we are saved. Not just from the wrath of God, from hell, but we are saved from the enemies in life. Trust in God's grace to save you and raise you. To finish what He has started. And I'll show you why. I'm closing with this verse and a statement after it. Titus 2 verse 11 through 12. Trusting in the grace of God to save you and raise you. To save you and sanctify you. God never saves without also sanctifying. Sanctification is part and parcel the same work of the work of grace of God in your life when He saves you. Oh no, he's just saved. He never got sanctified. Not true. Oh, he got saved, but, he, but hopefully one day he'll be sanctified. Not true. God saves and sanctifies immediately. Saving is an immediate event. Sanctification is a process. We get it. Look at Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All right, now it's continuing, talking about the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared training us to renounce ungodly, training us, training us to announce ungodliness and worldly passions. Remember, the world offers you what you're already passionate about, but the grace of God comes and it changes your creature. It changes your nature. And suddenly you become passionate about the things of God and you are urgent about the righteousness of God. Training us, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Renouncing it and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, the grace of God offers both. Pardon and power. Follow me for a moment. Closing with these three statements. The grace of God offers both pardon and power. Pardon from the penalty of sin and power to overcame, overcome the sin. Salvation is never simply a saving from hell, but also a sanctifying from sin. Believe in the grace of God. Let's raise our hands for a moment. Let's say this. Father God, your grace has appeared unto all men. According to Titus 2 verse 11. 
Your grace has appeared to me. Your grace has brought me back to life. Because you are gracious and because you loved, you came to me while I was dead. Dead in my transgressions. Dead in my trespasses. Dead in my sins. Unable to war against my enemies. You breathed life into me. You brought me back to life. You gave me eyes to see. You gave me ears that can hear. You gave me a brand new heart of flesh. A heart that responds to you in love. A heart that responds to you in gratitude. You brought me back to life because you loved me. You chose me because you loved me. You care for me because you love me. And your grace saved me. Gave me the ability to exercise faith in Christ Jesus. To turn from myself. To turn from the enemy called self. The one I saw as a savior. I now see as an enemy. I turned my back on him. And I turned to the cross. I put my faith in Jesus. And as I believe, you not only save me. You don't only pardon me but you also empower me to now walk victoriously in this life. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I lean upon your grace. I rely upon your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a praise offering. Thank you, Lord.